Bofufer. Bof. Ufer. Bofufer. Bonfufer. Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of June 25, 2012. This is episode 154. I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We are the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. Joining me today in studio. Jackie Ritaco, account <laughs> coordinator with Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Howdy, guys. Hey. We were just spending some time. We'll have to provide a link to it. But <laughs> we were trying to look up the pronunciation of meme. Meme. Mem? Meme? Meme is how they said That's it. That's how but, I said it, too. So there was a highly um, viewed YouTube video. I Channel. don't pronounce it. Oh, yeah. Well, it was just a video. video start. And Adam's like, oh, that looks familiar. There's a guy who does pronunciations. And so the first couple were accurate. And then either the guy goes, you know, the wrong side of the road or somebody else. But... There's just all of these pronunciations that are highly trafficked yeah. that are hysterical. There's, well, it's a parody of – so it looks exactly like it, and the guy's voice kind of sounds like it. There's a YouTube channel that just does English – words in English, so that if you're trying to figure out how something is pronounced, it's right. a really nice word on the screen, and then the guy says it, and it's a channel on YouTube that's just that. Well, right. Somebody else the, came up with the brilliant idea of doing that, but like totally mispronouncing the words – and that's we were just <coughs> crying, or at least I was yes. a second ago. They were hilarious. So the, the one podcast. I opened with yeah, Bo Fiefer was Brett Favre. <laughs> so you see the word Brett Favre, and you hear the guy go Bo Fiefer, <laughs> Bo Bo Fiefer. But then he'll change a lot of times. He'll change it a little bit every time he yeah, says yep, it. Yep. Bo Fiefer, <laughs> Bo Fiefer. Yeah, and he has different kind of accents, and he's got like a nice deep voice. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. We'll link to it. It's pretty funny. It sounds. Funnier, you can, but make you sure that you've yeah. got a few minutes to devote to it because you're going to click through to other ones and right. you'll be right. Cl- close the office door because you're going to be in tears for a good fifteen. I don't minutes. think I've ever seen you laugh that hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Seriously, I you were like, thing. he was crying, crying tears coming out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> this should be a fun podcast. Yeah, some some good something something energetic some, topics. Yeah, some new stuff. Um, some updates first. Uh, first of all, this week. I am facilitating a podcast, or a webinar, I should say, not a podcast, <laughs> from the Healthcare Strategy Institute, also known as the Forum for Healthcare Strategists. Uh, the webinar is called Creating Experience-Focused Cultures, the Marketing's Marketer's Role. Do I have a lisp? Can you guys tell? <laughs> I bit the cornhole out of my tongue Do on I? the right side. I don't, oh, I don't, I don't hear you? you. I don't. No, and so I can't talk. I can't, I can't rub my tongue against my teeth when I talk, so I have to talk like this. <laughs> I've been told by people that I have a lisp sometimes just in general. You know, I don't you didn't bite good. anything? Some people tell me that. No. Usually well, it's people who are close and don't mind speaking, their, speaking the truth. So yeah. either you guys... Are afraid to speak the truth, or I really yeah, don't. Yeah, because that's have a who lisp. we are. We're afraid to speak. <laughs> the no truth. one would be highly in tune to Adam's <laughs> no, if lisp. If there's anybody who would tell me I have a lisp, it'd be you guys. What was the Brady Bunch song with the lisp? Or here's a story. No, seashells, seashells. Because little Cindy Lou who had a lisp, and the bully would pick on her. Peter Hinton, bastard. Not Peter. How do you remember that name? Somebody Hinton, and then God, what was his name? Something Hinton. Tommy Hinton. <laughs> would stand by the tree and pick on little Cindy Brady as she walked by and pick on her lisp. And then her brother, Peter, stood up to Peter Hinton, and Peter Hinton punched him. And then 
uh, Peter's dad, Mike Brady, went over to talk to Peter Hinton's dad, <laughs> and Peter Hinton's dad punched Mike Brady. <laughs> and so it was all this, like, they tried to take the high road, and it wasn't working. So then Peter's older brother, Greg, taught him how to box. So the next time they walked down the sidewalk outside the school, and Peter Hinton made fun of Cindy, then made fun of Peter, because Peter wouldn't fight or something, um, Peter decked him. Nice. It was awesome. That's anyway. good. That's a good. That's I, dun, dun, that dun, dun, is. Dun, dun. That it's unfortunate. It seems like stories today aren't told aren't told that way. It's like that would never fly on modern television. That wouldn't be the the theme of a show today. There's nobody wants to tell a kid that they should hit, learn how to fight to to box you know to punch somebody back. It's all about oh. not doing that now. I'm laughing because I teach my kid to punch somebody. I got I got some <laughs> feedback from people who listen to our podcast. That say sometimes we go off the mark so early, no. so far that they're oh, like, no, "Come on, what started. are you guys talking about?" I don't know how we got to teaching your kid how to punch from <laughs> creating experience-focused cultures <laughs> webinar. Something about your list, My but list. then we holy yeah. cow! All right, anyway, sorry. So Bring it this back. this <laughs> webinar is uh, twelve thirty Central Time on Wednesday of this week, uh, and it's interesting because I'm just a facilitator, so I just have a really um, limited role, but I encourage people to 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 check it out because it has Misty Hathaway from uh, Mayo Clinic and Diane Stover Hopkins from uh, Memorial Health. And what's interesting to me is I spoke with not those two people, but their equivalents like three or four years ago at the forum about experienced patient experience and marketing. They're doppelgangers. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're <laughs> doppelgangers or Diane was there oh, at the word. time, but she just didn't speak. It was somebody underneath her. But anyway, love that topic. Big fan of that topic. Encourage people to check that out. Uh, another announcement, I will be in Indianapolis on July 24th at the Indiana Hospital Association Healthcare Communications Conference. And I actually have two presentations. I'm doing a keynote on Joe Public and then also doing a marketing measurement uh, seminar sorry just lost my train of thought. he's reading emails <laughs> no uh -uh. i was looking looking at their agenda i'm like what what's that what am i doing so anyway so two appearances at the iha conference and then jackie cool. you've got something you want to let people know before we get into our fun yeah. content for all those twins fans out there or for people who live in the metro area so mission the minnesota health strategy and communications network is partnering with iabc minnesota to um co-host a night out with the twins so it starts at brothers bar and grill downtown minneapolis on tuesday july 31st i believe and then um we proceed to target field to watch the twins so tickets are 23 dollars. you can bring a partner friend whatever you'd like and you should go to mission.com to register if you're interested it was very politically correct a partner or a friend i like was it, it? I, nice. I try to be PC as much as possible. <laughs> and I should, oh, go ahead. No, I was just, no, no, go ahead and you go first. No, mine was really not worth it. Oh, I was just going to, I was just going to piggyback on our pre announcement conversation about teaching children to hit to say that I, oh. I, I really wouldn't teach my son to hit people. I know you would. I teach him to defend himself, but not to, not to instigate. Kick him in the groin instead of punching. Yes. Hit him where it counts. <laughs> so the twins are not doing well. Well, Do you like haven't baseball? they been doing a little better? A little, but eh, they're still in the, like one of the worst They're supposed teams to encourage people to go. No, I was, you, weren't, you didn't let me finish. Oh, okay. Well. I was going <laughs> to encourage. I was trying to like be honest about 
you know, the Twins aren't the best team right now, but if you like baseball, it's always yeah. fun. But the if you've never been, or even if you have, mm-hmm. going Field. to Target Field yeah. is just an experience. By, you don't even have to watch the game. Yeah, It's so beautiful, and, and it's the place <clears throat> to be whenever there's a game. Is mm-hmm. it considered, where does it rank in the grand scheme of ballparks? And, you know, I know, and w- let me preface that question by saying, let's rule out like the, the signature all-time great stadiums like Fenway or whatever. I don't think you have to rule those out. Okay. I, actually, last year it, it was rated. It was rated by some organization or magazine as the best ballpark. Hmm. So, as far yeah. as sight lines, aesthetics, right. amenities, vibe, location, all of those things, obviously, it doesn't have what you're talking about, Adam. Like Fenway Park or right. Wrigley Field has that aura and that history that you know no new stadium is going to be able to replicate right. anytime soon. But if it wasn't for that aura, Wrigley Field is a dung hole. I mean, I've been there a lot of times. I can say that. I mean, it's right. It, I shouldn't say that. It's it's a great place to watch a game, but it's mainly because it's of that ambiance, right, right? Not right. because of the because you know some of the greats of great games have yeah, been played and there. It's just, great players have played there. You know, it's like going to it's like going to a ratty old you know place to to watch music. Mm-hmm. You know, it right. may not be the best venue. First Avenue, but it's like a legendary place right. to yeah. see. But First Avenue is a good place to watch music too. It but is. it's not like but it's, it's a dump. Not nice. it's, it's a, a dump. dump. <laughs> right. Right. So. So it's not not trying to compare it to to your point, right. Wrigley or Fenway in that regard. But if you want to just have ones. a really nice night out, mm-hmm. all right, let's get to some healthcare marketing before we lose the other half of our audience. Let's get to the beef of the podcast. All right. So first up is something called responsive design. So we have floated that phrase, I think, in our podcast a few times, uh, and we felt like you know we better like put on the brakes and kind of dig in a little, give a little bit of background on what we mean by that. Uh, it was actually prompted by a <clears throat> by a story that came out from Google about responsive design, but I'm going to turn it over to the responsive design shiznit. Sure, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jackie and I will just kind of eat our Reese's peanut butter cups and listen. As Adam, who knows more about this than the two of us combined times ten, um, will give us a little primer on responsive design. You know, what is it? What are we talking about? Sure. And why do we think it's so important for healthcare marketers to to know about? Well, it's 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 the let's start it off by it's, it's the way to create websites today. If you are if you are re, if you are beginning the process of redeveloping your website, redesigning it, rethinking it, it, it should be the way that it's going to be created and developed. Um, if you are in the middle of doing it and are not doing that, you should put the brakes on and invest a little extra in doing it. So let's talk about what it is. Um, Responsive design basically means that you are creating a single website, not multiple websites, one website that is going to be basically styled differently for different devices. So it makes decisions based on the size of the screen. So if it's a if it's a desktop browser or a laptop that's got, you know, 20, you know, 2400 pixels across the screen and so it's huge, it could have a nice big layout that that is perfect for for a full screen experience on a desktop or laptop or a larger screen for that matter. Um, but if somebody is viewing it on a tablet or on a smartphone, smaller screen, or even, even, a, um, even a dumb phone, which is like an old flip phone, um, it'll be styled appropriately for those devices as well. Um, so I guess one of the easiest ways to think about it is, is consider your current website. Most likely it's built on kind of a, like a grid framework. You've got a, you've got like a, a header across the top. You've got so like a logo and some navigational menu of some sort up there. You've probably got another menu maybe down the left side. 
you've got a content a, co- a column for content um and you've got another column over on the right that you dump some other maybe menus or promotional things in that's kind of your traditional web layout <clears throat> now take away keep all the content but take away the the framework take away what's holding all those things where they are so they just are kind of all dumped onto the page kind of like you dumped a puzzle out of a box it's all just laying there first step is put it in in, in order right what's most important so you got like the logo at the top and everything kind of flows after that in order of prominence now when it comes now now imagine that each device that's loading your website is it's taken all that stuff that you just dumped on the screen so rather than having your your rigid grid framework that everything was laid out into it looks at the size of the screen and it simply loads up a new little set of visual instructions that tells that content where to go. It tells the logo to go here, it tells the menus they should be here and they should look like this, it tells the content it should be flowing you know, down full width if it's on a phone. Um, here's what the font you're using, here's the margins, here's the padding, all of the visual instructions that make a website look the way it looks. Um, just live as different sets of instructions or maybe one set of instructions with the alterations for each screen size. That's your CSS style sheet. Um, but it may, basically means you've got one website, one set of content that's just getting restructured, restyled for different devices. And those decisions, again, are made on the size of the screen. So even like if you say you have an iPhone in, in your portrait mode when you're holding it straight up like you normally would, um, it's going to you know, fill the screen appropriately. If you turn it sideways, it goes to landscape mode, it's going to stretch a little bit and fill that screen. Um, if you go to your Android, that has got a little bit of a bigger screen, same thing. It's going to fill it appropriately. Um, so it's all about building very flexible websites that accommodate every, every device that could possibly try to access it. Um, and back, back up one step when I said it's also accessible on dumb phones. Now, a lot of dumb phones have really weird proprietary browsers that can't even parse. In some cases, it doesn't really understand how to understand an HTML layout. So that's where the importance of just having your content and like this hierarchical structure comes in. Because at least then you're still delivering something that's useful to them. It's just all of it kind of in a, up from the top to the bottom. Um, and that's like no style sheets applied to it at all or something very minimal. So hopefully that was, that's a long-winded answer of just it's, it's a single website that adapts to whatever device is, is, is trying to access it. Um, What's cool and, and where you can see this in action is if you, and we can provide some links to some mm-hmm. responsive design-based sites, and we're developing a few now that will be launched within the next couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, when you go look at a site like that, you can, on your computer, so start big, yep. and you take your window, your browser window, and you start shrinking it, and you see the website change dynamically. Yep. It's responding just to the window size. Right. And you can shrink it all the way down to what a, a smartphone might be and you see all the pieces flow into just the new flow layout. into it. Yeah, it's it's, cool. it's really cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean you can there's there are some people who have done really really interesting things with I mean because the layouts the layout in in some cases can feel like things are just naturally flowing. And in most cases they do. It seems like things are naturally just kind of sliding in and fitting in where they would in kind of a hierarchical fashion. And others like we really make dramatically different layouts um, to make a, like their mobile version feel almost like an app um, versus the full desktop site, site which will feel you know, more like a, like a, like mm-hmm. a website, uh, a traditional website, I should say, would. So it's, it's, it's the way to think about it. I mean, a lot of a lot of companies have tried to have have taken the route of delivering like this um, a quote unquote mobile website, right? Where it's it, it's different from their from their 
current from their main website. So it's the set, and a lot of times it's like a subset of information. It's the things that somebody to, somebody told them at some point in time. You need to put the only thing you need to make available on mobile is the stuff that people need to have access to when they're quote unquote out and about, mm-hmm. and that is about the most backwards way to think about mobile today. Uh, that you could possibly think about mobile because that is not what it's about. What it's about, you know, this is, this is the high horse that I've probably gotten on on every soapbox that I've gotten on on every podcast <laughs> when I talk about, you know, what smartphones are. So I've got my iPhone in my hand right now. And every time that I, I hold this and I just like grip it tightly every time I say this, <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is literally the first personal computer. Not, not necessarily just the iPhone, but these devices, these things that we put in our pocket and that are integrated into our lifestyle so much so that when we leave the house and realize we don't have it, there's like a moment of panic. It's like, and it's not just because you don't have your phone with you. It's because you now you don't have your maps with you. You don't have um, apps that you have come to rely on. You don't have a web browser with you. It's like, oh my God, something that is like a part of my life is now not with me. It's mm-hmm. like, a, it's panic moment. It's for your a new limb, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but these are the first personal computer. And if you think the only thing that people are doing with these things is pulling them out of their pocket when they're out and about, you're wrong. People use these people use these when they're at home. I mean, think of your own habits or the habits of your your kids or your your spouse or your your partner. We're using these at home just as much as we are using them when we're out out and about. You're you're looking up weather on here. You're looking up news. In many cases, you're doing some shopping. You're doing your social networking, um, watching video, all sorts of stuff. That's all on on this device. So if you if people people want to people need to be able to experience not a subset of your content, but all of your content on these devices. And responsive design helps make mm-hmm. that happen. Right. So the way I joke about it, stepping back I'm, down, I'm starting to like get the fever. Get, get Adam's fever when it comes to mobile, and mm-hmm. um, and I talk about this at, at conferences because I I'm, I'm speaking. I've got my MacBook Air, right? And people are familiar with MacBook Air. It weighs like eight ounces or yeah. some ridiculous <laughs> thing. You can hold up one hand and wave it around like it's a, right. like Magazine, a paperback, yeah. right? And I'm like, so I have the lightest, sleekest laptop you're ever going to find, right? And that's my computer at home too. And I'm like, I'm still too lazy to take that thing to the couch. I don't want to lift that and take it to the couch. I'm on my iPad or my iPhone mm-hmm. when I'm on the couch or I'm in the bedroom like or I'm somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lug around a MacBook Air, which is funny <laughs> when you think about it. Because, you know, three or four years ago, you'd been like, this is awesome. You know, yeah. I can cart this around. And now it's like, why? <coughs> Especially with an iPad or a tablet, why in the world, other than the typing, right. would I want to do that? And so, so it, it backs up what you're saying. And even when people are out and about, the majority of the time, they're not out and about trying to get to your location or looking at your hours, they're sitting at a restaurant. They're sitting at a bus stop. Mm-hmm. They're killing time. And if, if part of that killing time is, well, you know, I do need to see the doctor or I heard about this new service mm-hmm. and they want to find out about it and you've limited your mobile experience to hours, locations, whatever, you miss that opportunity. Or mm-hmm. conversely, if you don't even have a mobile optimized site and they pull up your hospital website and they have to pinch 20 times and accidentally hit five links in the process. Um, that's not a good experience either. So, yeah. uh, like we said, we've been working on a number of websites that use responsive design, some organization wide hospital wide websites. Uh, are there any challenges that you want to talk about with responsive? Like, um, do you ever run into challenges with there's too much content to figure out how to flow down to that? small or is it literally just no it's just how many layers deep you got to go 
Uh, yeah. Well, I think you know one, one of the approaches that we've been talking about and taking on recent uh, projects that that integrate responsive design is. To actually, rather than starting with the full-blown desktop experience, start thinking. Start with start your project thinking about mobile first. Take go down all the way down to the smallest size and start thinking from that perspective because it's a lot easier to then build it out larger. Because then it's then it, it turns from what do I have to remove to what can I add to this to enhance to make the experience even more you know even more. Mm-hmm. Fulfilling or whatever you want, not even fulfilling. I mean, obviously, the the experience on it on even the smallest device should be fulfilling. Um, but how do I how do I take fill, advantage fill the holes? of more? Yeah, real estate. Size. How can I put yeah. more on there? Um, and in many, in most cases, you're going to want to not have to you know pick and choose what's going to stay and what's going to go. I mean, it's it's easy enough to do that with CSS and with JavaScript to say you know this is going to be in this version, this is not going to be in this version. Once you hit geek cred, right? <laughs> just the technology yeah. behind there's technology available behind the scenes that's uh, you know and, and most skilled developers will have the chops to be able to get or that set up. Jackie. Exactly. Yeah. I Don't mean, JavaScript, I live by JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning I get a big steaming Step cup Star of JavaScript. JavaScript, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always think about do coffee. Um, uh, but yeah, you can, I mean, you can make decisions when you, when you move from one format to the other, from one screen size to another, what's how, where, if a, when a menu is going to move from the left side, for example, to maybe the bottom, or maybe it's going to fold up into the top and it's going to, you know, expand when you, when you hit a little tab or something along those lines, or a search field is going to pop down when you hit a button. Um, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's decisions that will need to be made, um, as to, what's going to move, where it's going to go, um, as the screen changes. So it's definitely a different way to start thinking about it. Uh, when, when you're talking about design, uh, one of the challenges when we started doing this, you know, we, years ago, you know, the approach that pretty much any agency or freelancer or design shop would do is that you would get these static screenshots of how your site was going to look. Um, and that's just more and more, it, it cannot be the case today because the, there really is, with the exception of the max size and the smallest size, um, there really aren't these static states that represent exactly what the site is going to look like, um, which is what a lot of these static comps, it's all, all they do. Um, so if, if you've got a partner that's, that's in, your, in your contract, that's what they're delivering you, you might want to talk about getting that contract revamped or make sure in the future that, that they don't have that in there, that you're uh, able to actually look at some static they're not static, but some, some maybe some responsive designs uh, up close that could be uh, live prototypes, and maybe they're simplified. Um, one popular approach that that designers are taking these days is what's called style tiles. Uh, it kind of <laughs> it, it gives you more. It's kind of like a mood board if you've heard that before, but it's less about showing you finished designs and more about talking about design elements and how things are going to work together mm-hmm. and overall feel and mood and that kind of stuff. Do they call it that because it rhymes? Style tiles. Yeah. Why do they call it style piles? Style piles. You can just dump all this stuff into a right. steaming pile and let let the people w- figure it out. Well, we've used steaming pile twice. And Have we really? <laughs> Did we use it earlier too? I said steaming. Well, I said steaming. Steaming pile. <laughs> Steam pile of hot Java. <laughs> um, but the hot JavaScript. One, the biggest adjustment that people will need to make is just how you think about this stuff because mm-hmm. you no longer can you just think about your web content as these static layouts because that's not the modern web the modern web needs to accommodate uh needs to have content built for it that can accommodate different screen sizes um so so that's a different process it's a fun process though i mean it's definitely it's it's a it's a fun challenge to move in that direction and like i said an easy way to kind of 
jump right in is to think mobile first and start there sure. and then build it out backwards, go the other way. Awesome. This has so been responsive tech design. This, <laughs> this has been tech corner. No, it's good. I mean, you got to understand, you know, not just what it is, but why it's important and mm-hmm. a little bit more background about what, you know, what's about and how you get it accomplished. So, and we should say the impetus for the, um, for talking about it in more, oh, yeah, in yeah, more yeah. depth today. Uh, there's an article from, um, Search Engine Land, which is a great website um, if you have any interest in <laughs> SEO. Candyland? Yes. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, a great website if you have any interest in um, SEO, SEM, um, just the inner workings of how, how that stuff uh, um, works. They, they, post, they post multiple articles a day. Uh, yeah, a good RSS feed. So I got their stuff there. But, but they were talking about the value of responsive design. And also um, their impetus for that article was the fact that Google has come straight out and said, this is what we recommend when it comes to SEO um, and really making sure that you are optimizing your content to be found. Responsive design is the way to go. So you if can't really you have a, more. Yeah. If you needed more, anything else to try to convince you that that is the way to go. You know, if you don't believe us, please believe Google um, because that's where you need to be found. We learned a new word. Pile tiles. Pile, Pile tiles. tiles. <laughs> or style, style, style piles. Style piles. Awesome. Well, thank you, Adam. Responsive design. Shiznit. Guru. I like shiznit better than guru. I hate guru. <laughs> guru is such a... Ugh, I hate that word. Yep. I know. God. Sherpa. Sherpa. <laughs> Man about town. I like Yoda. Yoda or yoga? Yoda. And I don't like yoga. Oh. I'm very inflexible. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we just had a phone go off in here. <coughs> Didn't quite have the right <coughs> ring to it. All right, well, let's move on. We had a couple other things. I'm afraid that we're going to... How are we doing on time? Poorly. Uh, yeah, that... It's well, all right. We should we've, jump we've to the last got, one. We've got like... We've got a good 10 minutes left. All right, probably. we're going to skip one. I, well, I'm going to say it do real quick. Do you want to skip the email one? No, I want to do the Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> the, I'm going to say real quick, there was a story in the New York Times called Talent Agency Adds Brand Strategy Unit. Uh, we'll post a link to it. It's very interesting to me. It's United Talent Agency, which is a huge talent agency, you know, like one of the most famous ones, um, it's adding a brand strategy division. So they're going to include services such as brand architecture, <clears throat> determining how brands and a company ought to relate to one another, quantitative and qualitative research, development of visual elements um, known as visual identity, brand positioning, uh, all of that. So pure brand stuff from the design all the way to brand strategy. And it's being led... Uh, by a guy who comes from Seagull Gale, which, of course, is a big brand agency. Um, I just found this fascinating, and I love the concept. Uh, He says later on, once brands that wanted to woo consumers with stories would immediately go to advertising. But now the story is in the experience. Of course, we say that like every other day. But I love the idea of a Hollywood agency and their way of telling stories applying that to brands not that they would be making movies but just mm-hmm. man they know how to tell stories and yeah. that's a really interesting concept to have those kind of folks applying that thinking to brands for companies right mm-hmm. so that was my initial take i liked it that's cool yeah all right you ready <laughs> a new we always have new segments and then we never <laughs> we, we never we repeat, repeat them again. But this is a new segment Special that I'm sure time. we'll repeat. Actually, we probably do this segment every podcast. We just don't call it this. Calling it point counterpoint. Now, yeah. do you guys know what that refers to? It's the 
Check Jamal. Isn't it that guy? What was his name? No. He would like, call people out. And <laughs> you got the right show, not Saturday Night Live. Well, I, I think, think it was, it was the, the McGa- McLaughlin group. Yes, yes. No, the Saturday Night Live from like maybe the first or second season. It was Jane Curtin. Do you remember Jane Curtin? Yes. God, you guys are young. You ignorant. Well, no, Dan Aykroyd, you surely Jane, know you ignorant slut. Yes, that's from <laughs> Point Counterpoint. It was a 60 Minutes bit, um, and then they took a... And I don't know if it was called Point Counterpoint or 60 Minutes, but they had that on 60 Minutes, and then they did a takeoff on it. And it, it would devolve into like that kind of argument, and Dan Aykroyd's famous line was, Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> so we thought we would do this because... Um, I don't know why, but recently I've been hearing this this movement, I'll call it. And then there was a story in Macworld <clears throat> that Adam found, and I said, okay, we've got to address this. And the movement is email is the devil incarnate, and we must destroy it and get rid of it. <laughs> and there are Down people. What's that? Down with email. Down with email. There are people that aren't just saying email is you know, ineffective or could be used better. They're literally saying we need to get rid of it. Right. It is that bad. And just to, just to give you a hint of this, there's a guy in this story. It's called Stop Using Email for Everything, which is, <clears throat> I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, his name is Robert Carao, Chief Operating Officer at LAC Group, a professional service company in LA. Um, and he says... My pet project for the next year is to get us away from email. I think email is so archaic, archaic. it's the bane of my existence. Carraro isn't alone. The French company Ados made headlines last year when it completely banned internal emails. And so there's this movement like we've got to get rid of emails, that they're old school, ineffective, and must be destroyed. So the point-counterpoint is, you know, Adam and I are going to take different sides of this, and, and we're going to take extremes. Adam is going to articulate why email is a steaming pile of Super awesome. S and why we should get rid of it. And I'm going to take the side of, I don't understand what's wrong with email. Uh, we'll try to take some extremes, obviously, maybe somewhere in the middle. But Jackie will be the fight judge and will lend her questions or thoughts as we get through this. And we'll try to, let's do like, like a real debate, like, yeah, like two minutes so we can get through this. Do I get to pick a time. winner? Then? And then she gets to pick a winner. So the fate of email well, we are, we as technology... It, Jackie's already said she loves email, so I don't... She, well, she, she's well love judge, is a very strong it. word, folks. <laughs> she hasn't heard your arguments yet. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Adam, you can start. Because um, I think you have the point, which is emails suck and we should get rid of them. So go. go. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't prepare necessarily for a straight-up debate style, so... <clears throat> You know, I think what might... I mean, the best supporting points, I think, are some of the stuff that's written in... um, A, I think, are based on the decisions that we've already made internally to to move away from email for everything. Um, One of which is the integration of Basecamp and project management. I mean, just think of what our workflow would be like without Basecamp. If everything was done via email... Mm -hmm. Well, Basecamp does deliver via email, Well, it does, but everything is organized outside of email. Email is just Ah. like the supporting component to notify you of things that are are happening in the place where the real messaging is happening and and the organization of that messaging is happening and the place where the real collaboration goes on and everything is put like in a conversation thread. Sure. That's because everything's organized. Without that, email is a colossal cluster F because everything is just... It's impossible to find stuff. I mean, a good example is like um, like the other day there was a, a, a last minute change to a, to a meeting, and you had sent out an email in the mornings with the with the new information on it. Um, I saw the email 
took a crap on it. No, I didn't take. I was just. I was like. <laughs> I was like. All right. I saw this email. I know that I've got it. So when the meeting time rolls around, um, I'll just refer to it. Well, you know, the inbox has another thirty, forty emails mm-hmm. piled on top of it after that, and now, you know, a few minutes before the call, I'm like scrambling to try to go back and find that that message. Um, so the best, ex- which is you know, that's those are rare instances. Normally. You know, we were, Jackie is awesome with just updating the calendar appointment, and then all the information's right there. So you, there's your appointment. Click on it. There's all the details. So there's one. That's a great example of, of a shift away from email to an organization of the information within, like, a calendar format. Um, uh, obviously, email is a component of it, again, because when you make an appointment, it sends out the message. lets mm-hmm. everyone know they can respond to it. So, But email, then, is just a supporting element of a larger system of organi- organizing the information. Um, so that said, so my, my, one of my beefs is represented right there in the fact that for me to try to go back and find that information, you know, if, if I would have started or flagged it or tried to filter it or something so that I could have just pulled it up instantly again, I mean, it's on, my, it's on me for not doing something like that. But the problem is when you've got 50 emails from a million people flying at you, you know, in like a matter of 20 minutes, it's damn near impossible to set up filters and rules to account for all of that. So it just comes down to then trying to have a way to find it all. And email is so archaic that it's damn near impossible to find what you need when you need to find it uh, later on. Um, so am I, am I, have my two minutes up yet? <laughs> Probably. Well, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> so that, and some of the other points, I guess, <clears throat> before Chris, you come and encounter it. Um, I think I covered most of my points. Let's see. Some of the other things too is the problem with being, I don't know that we suffer from this really bad. I know I, 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 trying to get better about this of not feeling this way but I feel like when an email comes in that it's essentially the same thing as that person standing next to me with their arms folded waiting for a response that's kind of how I, bit, that's yeah. what I think about with email mm-hmm. um, and the only way for me to get away from that is literally to cr- close my email client and open it up try to just open it up a couple times a day so it's not just sitting there you know, popping up notifications that I've got another message I need to respond to. Right. Um, Because how I've felt in the past, like I said, literally it feels like somebody is standing next to me waiting for an answer and I have to drop what I'm doing and respond to them. And when when your whole day consists of nothing but people coming and standing next to you with their arms folded, you (laughs) now have nothing, you have no time to to work anymore to get anything done. Um, So what I want to read a couple of the pull quotes from this article. There's like three or four (laughs) of them that are just really good and then I'm going to turn it over to Chris. Okay. You're going over. Um, <clears throat> that's a negative that's a point, Doc. So, so here, here, are the, here are the pull quotes. First one, if your email program checks for, message, uh, checks for messages every five minutes, as most do by default, that adds up to 96 potential interruptions in an eight-hour workday. Uh, next one, most people react to the arrival of an email within six seconds, almost as quickly as they respond to a telephone call. That's from a 2002 study by La Barrow University. Final pull quote. People who read email changed screens twice as often and maintained heart rates in a steady high alert state. <laughs> Those removed from email for five days experienced more natural variable heart rates. That's from a 2012 study uh, by UC Irvine and the U.S. Army on the effect of email vacations. That's, that's interesting. Getting away from email can effectively lower your heart rate or can make you... If- if I get Not too many, in a high alert state. If I have too many em- emails coming in that I feel I need to address at one point in time, though, it's I start like to get slight mode. anxiety. Yeah, yeah, about being able to tackle it all. Yeah. So I can speak to that. Can I just ask one question? Yeah. Even though it's probably going to throw us even more over, what would be the preference for the alternative then? No, no, don't give him that. 
Why? Oh, okay. Well, I've kind of already set up, I've already set up what my preference or what the, the solution is. We, we've already moved in that direction somewhat. We use tools that, I mean, I, my, what I dislike about email too also kind of goes for like instant messenger stuff too. Although, I mean, I, I like it. My biggest beef with instant, instant messengers is that it feels even more so than email. It feels like somebody's standing next to you. At yeah, their that's waiting. what I'm going to say. You think email is that way? No. The alternatives to this are far worse. No, no, Texting no, 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 no. or Those, calling. That, or... I, I'm not saying that IMs are the alternative. I'm saying systems. Well, what is the alternative? The alternative is some is our systems like uh, <laughs> oh, well no. some some of the stuff that's outlined in this document. And even you were saying, well, that's kind of interesting how they're doing that. But like just tools that we have moved to. So we've moved away from like complete email solutions to things to um, collaborative tools like Basecamp. You know, we're using scheduling, obviously, which helps to coordinate some of that off, off move some of that stuff from, from email into a tool that's meant to organize the information and not necessarily require you to um, monitor it continuously, respond instantly. Uh, and it's just, it's a more intuitive modern way to organize the information because I mean, email is old i mean it was it wasn't it wasn't never meant to be a way to like organize information it was just meant for a way to communicate to, to, mm-hmm. to send a message and get a message back and the problem with that is that it's just it's not organized that's probably the big aside from it requiring your that's attention fair. all the time um and being kind of an addiction in that way or feeling like you're a slave to it there's an utter lack of organization in it or it's, it's just it's hard to manage it okay can i go yep your turn sure okay so i guess there's two two things that i that i struggle with and this guy says it in here too he's like he estimates he receives 500 emails a day um it kills me just deleting not even reading that still takes a good chunk of the day this idea that it's you're a slave to it i don't understand I don't understand because to your point, Adam, that's under your control. You control whether you're slave to it or not. You control whether you respond to it or not. No, yes, you do. Well, you do. Dep- you can turn off the indicator on your phone. People who have their phone like that go off <laughs> every time there's an email are insane. That's insanity. Even with text messages, it's borderline these days. But if you seriously want to be notified every time you get an email, you have a problem. That's my first thought. And if you have your, your desktop set so that it notifies you every time, that's a, that's a time management problem that you have. It's not email's fault. That's your fault. What? No, no, no. Go you ahead. let me go. go you you got to let yeah. me finish, okay? So, so the idea that you don't have control over this intrusiveness bothers me a lot. The quantity that this guy's talking about, I understand that. I understand you get a lot of emails and a lot of them aren't relevant he says it mm-hmm. takes a good chunk of his day to go through his email i find that hard to believe even 500 emails a day or a thousand emails a day <clears throat> i really find it hard to believe that it takes a good chunk of your day but again like adam said we're in an environment where we don't use email as extensively as we do as others may we use mm-hmm. Basecamp and right and we use iChat and things like that but the other thing that i have a real problem with is what i started to bark at adam was the idea that email makes you feel like somebody's standing there with their arms crossed. If that makes you feel like somebody's standing there with their arms <laughs> crossed, what does iChat make you feel like? Or like a phone somebody's call? Somebody's on your shoulders beating on yeah. your face or text messages. Yeah. So uh, the problem with the alternatives that I see are I feel like, especially this is generational and stereotypical, so excuse me if you're under 30, but the younger <laughs> folks, not like me, fuddy-duddy, want everything like now, instant reactionary boom 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 
And that's what I like about email is I don't have to respond right then. Right. I don't have to. I feel that way with the text more. Text is like a conversation. Text to me is closer to a conversation or a phone call than it is to email because I feel like, okay, now I need to. I still have some opportunity, but it's a conversation that's going, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I get bothered when conversations try to happen via email. I'm like, why don't we just jump to iChat, right? Right. And vice versa, when things are communicated via iChat or text that can wait. Right. Why don't those happen via email? So I struggle with this because I feel like this isn't really the tool's fault, the things that people are mad at. It's individual. It's a personality thing. It's a personality thing. And so I what I would that. say is I'm all for, and we've already taken steps, to diminish emails and use them effectively and to replace them with more appropriate tools like iChat, like Basecamp. A phone call. Or a phone call. And these, the story has some, you know, companies have come up with some really robust tools on their own mm-hmm. for doing that. And that's fantastic. But the idea of eliminating it seems silly. That seems overreacting. That seems like because it's been around for a while, let's kill it. Well, then let's kill phones too because they've been around like 10 times longer. Right. right? Um, the phone has its place. It's a good communication tool. You wouldn't use it like you use email, and you shouldn't use email like you use these other tools. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's more of a refine how you deal with it, refine how you react to it, refine how it's used. But to say that it's the devil and needs to be eliminated, which is what this guy says and others have said, eliminate it completely, just seems a bit much. So there. I think um, my biggest counter to you, the point that it's a personality or personal problem is that... Um, I think, you know, in our case, maybe we could say that, but I think in many cases, the expectation of you from an organization, as your role in this organization is that you're going to be responsive and that you will respond to these. So I don't think, I think for a lot of people, they don't have a choice to say, I'm going to close email for and right now. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it on at eight o'clock and check it. I'm going to turn it on again at 11 o'clock and check it. I'm going to turn it on again at three and then at five when I leave just to see where it's at. There, I think that the expectation for a lot of people is that you will have email on during the day and you will respond when I send you a message. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're in a, we're in a, a service business. So if anybody's yeah. had an expectation, we do. And I don't know that that's the case. And a lot of time management experts tell you that's exactly what you do. And you tell people. You say, here's when I'm checking my emails. If it's urgent, call me. Or send a text where the alternative is. But otherwise, here's when I have a lot of time to get back to you. And people accept that because most of it isn't urgent. That's why it's an email. You're exactly right. right. And I I agree with you. But I think it really comes down to an environment that's open to that train of thought. It would be great to hear from people who work in larger uh, organizations. You know, I just think back to when I was working in a hospital, even a smaller marketing department of about a dozen people. I I do think that there was a, a real pressure to be almost immediately responsive to messages that would fly around, especially within the department. Um, and I have to believe that there's a lot of organizations where, you know, that's obviously there's a reason that people are talking about this. I think there's, there has to be organizations where this really is a problem, where people feel like it is in their job description almost, that they, that they need to have email open and respond to it, you know, like at the drop sure. of a hat. But um, I, don't know how, I don't know how the alternatives help that. I don't know how like a live chat stream or some of these tools – how is that any different? And I think it's more pressure. When you get a, an eye chat, there's more, more of pressure a time to too, respond yeah. than an email. I think, so well, I think a lot a of it is less about like solutions to, you know, a lot of people use email because they need, they have a, a, 
a problem that needs to be addressed, a yes. question that needs to be answered. And I think the goal of a lot of these tools is to provide other means of getting these questions answered so you don't feel like your first your first go-to for getting an answer is sending somebody an email. It's to make it feel like your first go-to for an answer is to go to this place here where there are people talking about this um, and they've got your answer already. You mean it might mean that you need to take 10 more seconds of your time to, to search the topic or whatever or to, you know, to dig up whatever it is. Um, but it's supposed to prevent you from resorting to email and sending it to your, you know, your designer because they will have the answer or to the director because they should know what's going on mm-hmm. with, with this particular thing. It's like I've got, a, I've got a problem and I can go here and I know I can get an answer for it. So it's, in that case, it's more about cutting down, I think, on, on email's role. Uh, instead yeah. of replacing it, yeah. which is exactly what we, what we with do that. with our, yeah. with our yeah. systems. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and then we need to wrap up, <clears throat> and then we need to wrap up, was when you had a note that you said, if I had 500 emails, and I know this is an exa- exaggeration, that it wouldn't take me all day to respond to them. Um, for me, I know if I, when I respond to an email, typically I have to put a lot of thought. I have, to, I have to go look at I have to go back into other projects maybe or into new projects. For just, and this is just for one email, mm-hmm. not, not mentioning the other 99 that are waiting after that. Um, and maybe in maybe research, look into some, look up something quick to fit, to answer the question that's been asked. Um, and if I have to do that for even a dozen emails, then they, that goes, there's my morning is gone. Well, I think, I think when I hear 500, my assumption is 90% of them don't need to be responded to. It's possible. Well, I, I, and it certainly it would vary if you're the CEO of Coke, maybe, but I, I can guarantee you the CEO of Coke is not sitting there going through 500 emails and answering them himself because he's mm-hmm. the CEO. But most of those emails are your CC'd, they're not things you don't even respond to, they're automatic reminders. The vast majority of those things are click, 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 click. The 500 would still take you time to go through. Oh, yeah. That's granted. Maybe I was extreme in that. Yeah. But, but I also wonder if he's really getting 500 emails a day. I know people do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All I don't right. even know if there's a clear winner. I think we all kind of came to a consensus at the well, end. Well, Jackie gets to say. <laughs> If it were up to you, would you, well, it's not fair to say eliminate, but that's what this guy wants to do. Yeah, that's a little drastic to me. I will also add just one more point, because I can. (laughs) Does she have the floor, finally? (laughs) That I do think that um, your requirement to be responsive to email does have a little bit to do with your role, because as an account manager, I think that I am expected to be more responsive maybe than you two are in your roles sure you know just because that's almost part of my job description so that said you know i still think you know there are ways that i mean it's so easy to get bogged down and you just need to manage that and you need to put emails aside that can wait till later and you know i've been working on that but yeah but yeah i mean i don't know i just i personally don't mind emails so for me it's just you know sorting the most important with ones that can you know happen later and addressing it that way. Otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy for sure. So, yeah. Well, I think when one of the solutions that these tools are trying to integrate is a, is a way to help people manage that. Cause right. the, one of the problems with email is there's like no priority structure to it. You have to, you have to go through everyone and determine which one is a priority totally, and yeah. which one is like not a priority. And the goal of a lot of these systems, other than kind of helping you find answers is to help you help it for the system itself to be something that creates priorities for you. So you don't have to do that extra work. It's just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well here's this one that I know is important because it's a project that's hot right now. And it's from a person who I need to respond to. Right. Um, so I'll get on that one right away, but this one, not so much. Mm-hmm. So, all well, right. so that said, I think it's a tie. 
That's right. Nice. Way to take a stand. <laughs> All right. Well, we will we'll end it there because I think we're yeah. way over. But another long interesting one. what other people. We went a lot over. Oh, no. Uh, not terribly. Oh, I thought you said a lot. No, I think we, we're at about 40. A little over 40. Okay. Between 40 Good and 50 minutes. Wah, wah. Well, thanks for sticking with us. You're welcome. Yeah, if you still do. You didn't have a choice. <laughs> Anybody stuck it all the way through this. Okay. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, it's, they're inter- to me, they're interesting topics. So the people who stuck through are like, they're, you're my people. Thanks for staying. Yeah. You're my homes. <laughs> yeah. I should... No, we'll say that for next time. Okay. <laughs> so for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Ambassadors, this is Chris Bevelo. Jackie Ritacco. And Adam Meyer. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with us.